We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Transfer News tried to spare them, but we are getting the performance reviews done. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Happy Father's Day, everybody. If you uh, have a Father's Day in the region where you are listening to this, and if you are a father, happy Father's Day. If you have a father, happy Father's Day to that person. If you think you may be a father at some point in the future, or potentially are a father, but you're just not totally sure, happy Father's Day to you, too. Although I would suggest in the latter category you might need to be doing more to earn the accolades. But, you know, you do you. This is a judgment-free zone, and we are just happy to have you here. So I think we're all set to get the performance reviews done today. And that means attacking mids, forwards, Arteta, and Adu. I realize we could talk more about transfers, but we got to get these performance reviews done. And to be fair, Lissandro Martinez rumors are interesting, but I don't think they rise to the level of, we've got to touch on it right now. Eddie and Kenny signed his new deal. We've sort of covered that at length. There's still Telemans links. There's still Gabriel Jesus links. I think we're in a nice little pocket of space right now to do this. So let me tell you a few things that are happening. I'm going to be sitting down with Zach Lowy, who is a Portuguese football expert, uh, tomorrow to record an interview about uh, Fabio Vieira and maybe one or two other things. And so that will be coming out this week. Um, we did do a scouting video on him that's up on the Patreon. So you can check that out if you want. Um, but that's really about the balance of it. Uh, Clive is occupied as we record this. We sh- I should mention we're recording this on Father's Day. You're probably listening to this the day after Father's Day and going, it's not Father's Day where I live. It is not Father's Day anywhere because it's Monday. Fair point. As we record this, I am I am uh, imploring you to have a good Father's Day. And here with me now is a father who I wish a very happy Father's Day, and that is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Subrado. Hello, Tim. Hello there. How was your Father's Day? Yeah, very good. I, I took my daughter to the Emirates for the first time today. So um, obviously there was nobody there. And that was kind of the mm. point, um, yes. given that she's not yet two years old. But uh, yeah, yeah. So very nice. Very nice. Thank you. 
Well, the beauty of it is she can't be disappointed by anything in her first visit there because there's no football on. So you ensure a happy first experience with the Arsenal, which is always a good thing. Exactly. I, I took her to see like the big picture of Thierry Henry, so no disappointment yeah. there. No disappointment there, although there are people that are outraged that his number has been given to another player and that other player may not be good enough to be. I'm just so mad. Listen, people, it's just a shirt number. It will be worn by someone good in the future. It will be worn by someone bad in the future. The famous number nine, I would say that Arsenal have had mixed uh, experiences with that. The number 10, well, William Gallus wore that number. So, you know, Dennis Bergkamp to William Gallus, maybe a bit of a step down and difference in quality there. I would suggest there are things we can be outraged about that are higher on the priority list. Here to hopefully not be too outraged about anything is a fellow father and a man who I wish a happy Father's Day to, and that is Paul. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Uh, yeah, happy birthday. Uh, happy, yeah. Uh- Father's Day. I, I got COVID, mm-hmm. so I'm like scrambled and uh, I'll say a lot of dumb stuff today. But yes, I meant to say happy Father's Day to everybody. Big day for you, Elliot. They used to say about you around the Twin Cities that you couldn't throw a stone over a wall without hitting one of your bastards. So <laughs> this is a really big one for you. Uh, well, uh, I, an average I spent one it with me. the two I know about. I spent it with the two I know about, and I'm <laughs> I'm perfectly content with that situation. I will say that the ones I don't know about, I'm sure, are lovely, but they don't need to call her right. I'm just saying. I'm kidding. There are only the two. There are only the two. Um, at least that's what I will admit to if pressed. So, uh, and by the way, pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Let's dive into it. And um, as a reminder, if you want to go back and listen to player performance reviews, part one, we did the defenders, we did the goalkeeper, we did the deeper midfielders. So, Sambi Lakonga was covered. Thomas Party was covered. Mohamed Elneny was covered. We now pick it up with the attacking midfielders and we'll dive right in with one that I have cheekily slotted into this category, one who may not be long for the Arsenal experience and one who really has had to take on a lot of roles over the last couple of seasons when pressed. But this season, when we played the majority of our good football, he was playing as a left eight. So he falls in this category. His name is Granite Shaka. Tim, underperformed, met, or overperformed his expectations in all of his various roles this season? Yeah, first of all, I'm going to apologize because you're probably going to hear the rain rattling on my roof, um, such as British summertime, but there we go. Um, So for me, I'm going to say exceeded expectation. I could be argued down to met because I do generally think that Granite Xhaka, 95% of the time is a, a really solid guy, a really solid player, and 95% of the time, you know what you're going to get. And like, he's a big contradiction because he's really, really reliable, very available until he's not. <laughs> when he's not, it's quite spectacular. However, he, he doesn't do those kind of like small little mistakes. It's just like mm-hmm. the, the Xhaka timeline is six months, five months, uber solid, massive explosion. And then back, it's, it's like, a, you know, the heart rate line that kind of goes, do it. Do, do, and then every now and then you get a do. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason the reason that's going to be fun to audio engineer. Yeah. This, by the way. thank you for that. Yeah, I'm shouting over the rain. Um, but the, the reason I'm going to say exceeded is because first of all, I, maybe I'm misremembering, but I genuinely think some of those there have been fewer of those boneheaded moments. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was like Man City at the beginning of the season where I think he kind of quit on his team. And I can't really think of too many 
Um, Ironically, Man City twice, right? There was the penalty yeah. against Man City in January. A little more mixed there. Yeah, well, didn't, he I, get, I, didn't he get a double yellow or a red against uh, Liverpool in the EFL and that had knock, yeah. a knock-on impact in the Premier League? We missed him for a game yeah. or something like that. The, the yeah. Burnley game, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the, the yeah. Liverpool first leg, uh, the, I'd, I'd say that because I, I still don't think that was a penalty against Man City, yeah. so I'm not going to have a go at him for that. And But yeah, the Liverpool red card, you know, but but <laughs> but generally speaking, and and particularly given that we've given him a new position and one that he's not particularly familiar with, I mean, I wouldn't say he's not comfortable with it. He's looked comfortable with it, and look, we've all had the conversations about how we can do better there, and that's fine. But he he has not been a problem this season. Um, which, when you consider we've given him that new position, and not only that, but we've all I think asked that question. Um, you know, when Party was signed, we were like, oh, can Jacker's like, I don't want to call it ego, but can his personality handle like not being the guy in midfield? And you look at the amount of touches he takes now, the role he's playing, he's not the guy in midfield anymore. He's the guy who's being asked to do a job. And the question I think has been thoroughly answered. He's fine with it. And, uh, yeah. and maybe we will assign things um, to him that, uh, slightly harshly. So I'm, I'm going to say exceed. If you'd have told me in August that Xhaka would be playing this position left eight and would be decent to very good for pretty much the whole season, I'd say that exceeded my expectation personally. Yeah, I think that's entirely fair and, and probably right. I, I It's difficult, right? Because... I think when we set this out in the first episode we did, we said we didn't want it to be an expectation that was like, oh, the player is bad and player did better than bad and so they exceeded, right? The expectation is what the club needed from that player or expected from that player in that position. With Shaka, it's tough because I think Shaka was largely, consistently, reliably pretty good all season, as you said. And the fact that he wasn't, in my view, what we need in that left eight position, I don't think is a reflection of anything he necessarily did wrong so much as limitations of the player in terms of his traits, his characteristics, right? Yeah, and and I'd just say as well, I think Arsenal know that as well. I, I don't think Arteta put him there going, this is the position for him. Like, it's like, He's he's he he probably knows he's like in a shallow grave at the moment. He's like, oh, this isn't my position. This isn't the one that's being earmarked for me. I'm sure he knows that. I'm sure Arsenal yeah. know yeah. that. And so Arsenal's expectations, I think, would have been at the very least met, but maybe even exceeded. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I'm going to go with met because no, I'm going to go with exceeded in the sense that I think all season long, Granite Shaka was reliably pretty good. I don't think at any point we saw a run of games where Shaka wasn't a solidly con- consistent contributor to the team. And with Granite Shaka, I-, I think this is interesting. I think his last two seasons have arguably been his best with Arsenal because we've gotten the relatively, I would say, high end of decent low end of very good range that he performs in, but we've gotten it consistently. And when I think there's been a, a, a frustration with Shaka during t- at times in his Arsenal career, it was the random handful of games a season when he really was well off it, well below the needs or made silly errors or his limitations were more exposed. And I don't think we saw that. I will stick with the fact that we need 
a different quality at left eight. I think the club know that. They've gotten Vieira. They may be getting Tielemans. Both of those players can play in that position. I do think it begs, not begs, raises the question of whether or not Shaka will be here next season. I still think it is a possibility that he will not. Um, that's probably a conversation for another time. But Paul, where, where do you land on, on Shaka? Yeah, um, I'm going to go with exceeded. I know people will assume because it's me, because it's Shaka, blah, blah, blah. But... Um, but I do remember it a bit different in terms of a season. I think people were at their wits end with Chaka in January. That's my Chaka meter as I remember it. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. It had the Man City thing. He had we we were in such a pickle over that uh, January break. And I'll be honest, I was I was at my straining point with Chaka and yeah. shenanigans and stuff. It just felt like there was one instead of one a season. Because that was my thing. Well, it might happen once a, se- once a season. It, now it hadn't happened a second time. And we were under such stress. And he was the senior midfielder around, etc. And, like, the reason he's exceeded is because he, he was so uh, solid from there on. And I would say, apart from one or two moments, so much what we needed him to be as a, if you like a vice captain under the radar captain behind Lacazette and like, and he's fit into those roles that we've, he's done things that we all generally said he wouldn't do. He, he was happy to be second string to party or let other guys have the central spot. El Nenny Sambi or whatever. And he'd go and do a role that was more attacking than he was suited to. And he'd suck it up and do a pretty good job every pretty much uh, as an attacking eight, apart from when he gets to the box. He got himself in good yeah. positions in the box, but he wasn't the right guy. Um, but he did everything beyond his abilities to fill in there. And just as a last thought, uh, you and I talked about Chaka uh, when he was pulled off in the Everton game. No offense, Matt. Um, after, what, 70 minutes, and you were like, we were discussing what does that mean? And I'm like, I'm still not feeling it. I'm not feeling this means something. The Chaka, like I can half feel that there's something going on here. My bet is he'll stick around. My other bet is we'll be surprised how I'm going to use the term generous. And some people will hate that because like he's paid and blah, 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 blah. But how generous he is about his role within the team. I mean, he's not going to want to be on the bench every game, but I think we'll be one more time surprised about how generous he is in a senior leadership. Now, that may not happen. I'm not saying that's definitely happening, but I will not be surprised if he sticks around and that he sees his role as a little bit more around bringing this team forward and understanding that he's one of a number of midfielders. If we got in a Tielemans or a Zinchenko or, or, uh, or Vieira steps up and becomes much more yeah. of the eight ten. That's my, my guess. I'll say this. that's, that's forward looking. I think he could go if he stays and we get Tielemans and Vieira and he slides into a role where he is not a regular starter and not playing regularly. You and I need to have a side wager because the side wager I want to have is I think he'll cause a problem. I, I, I think we will see, cracks um i know I, I again i know you don't agree that's why i think it'd be fun to have a side wager on that because i just have an instinct that this guy really really needs to be at the heart of things i mean i Has ironically he not surprised I think, us a lot though to be fair in terms of how really. he's really? i think he's been extremely consistent paul in the sense i don't that, mean in terms of performances like when party came in we thought that would be an issue and like 
he has adapted to doing things he's not comfortable with. He's yeah. lost the captaincy. He's responded. He's had other people do the captain. Like we thought it was a big deal when he handed over the captain's – had handed it back to Enketia. That wasn't what it was about. He understood his box and he was fulfilling it and he didn't want to mm. – you know. I think time and Let's time again way. he stepped up, not just footballistically. Anyway, yeah, we'll see. I- I think he's been. I think he's been fine. And I, all I'm saying is, yeah. I think, and this is just ad hoc judgment of the character, the the guy of what he needs and what he what's important to him. Yeah, I don't see him being someone who long term will be able to take it lying down, not being a starter. But we'll see. Sure, I, I, d- I absolutely accept that's that's how people see him. I'm just surprised that he has this range, and I just wonder if there's one more step in it. Maybe it won't be like if we bring in new players, it won't be be like. Arteta and him will have talked and will be okay with what the scenario is going forward. And yeah. he may just be a bit more generous than we expected. Anyway, we'll see. And, and, and look, the one thing he has going for him, he has no, no risk of losing his place in the Switzerland squad or anything. You know, he's not one of these players that's going to yep. feel like he needs to earn his national team call. Look, let's leave it there for Shaq. We always get off to a slow start and we need to start to get yeah. the momentum propelling. But I think we all sort of agree that, roughly speaking, he's sort of just on the high end of met or just on the low end of exceeded outperformed expectations um with with the one caveat since Paul raised it and I think it's interesting we really saw him do well once party ste- like did we see Shaka play well at any point this season when party was gone because once we lost party we struggled to be- I mean I guess he was good in the run the, the three game United run yeah United Chelsea and West Ham game so yeah fair play okay um Martin Odegaard should be an easy one I'm gonna say Overperformed expectations, but you could say met because the expectations were high and he was he was good. I, I'll start with you, Paul. My my basic take on Martin Odegaard is we need more from him, and there is more to come. But the loan wasn't a completely unequivocal success every single day. There were ups and downs. I think we saw more consistent ups, more consistent leadership. He sort of stepped into the technical leader role for us. And and when we were good, he was good. So I, I'll say he he overperformed. He took on a lot of responsibility. And if you look at the metrics in terms of like chance creation in the Premier League and expected threat and things like that, he's among the best in the league and he's in very, very good company for chances created. So I'm comfortable with saying overperformed. Yeah. How about you? I'll go exceeded. Uh, yep. I'd disagree. Like, I think that's we, just... We got to get a consistent thing here. It's yeah. underperformed, met, overperformed. We, overperformed. We're going to just stick with that nomenclature because that's what... Clive insisted upon, and he's the he's the corporate guru, so we'll leave it to him. Yeah. All right, nice one. Burning 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> overperformed. I disagree that we all thought he was going to be great. I think a lot of people after that loan were not sure he was really what we needed. Uh, we we might have been sure on this podcast because we all like him, but I don't I don't think that was at all universal um, among quite reasonable people. And I think he's been better than his loan. He's stepped up to what we thought he would be. I think there's a question mark about can he perform when the rest of the team is a bit crappy and when we're struggling, can he step up and have an impact regardless or are there some games where he's a little bit invisible, almost a little bit Ozil-like, which I think is totally unfair in many ways, but uh, there's more for him to do. But I think he's definitely lived up to the conductor in the final third or the the Arteta on the in the attacking third of the pitch, kind of like the game plan and, and his relationship with Saka and like his numbers he's putting up as well, just generally underlying stats. 
yeah, I've loved him. I think he's great, but there's, he's got to got to provide more direct threat himself or produce even more numbers for other people. Take your pick. He's either got to Ozil-wise get everybody else scoring or Ozil-wise step up as he did in a season or two and score 10 goals. So there's more to come from him, and I think he'll do it. How about you, Tim? Yeah, I was all set to say Met, actually, just because I think he's really, really good and um, agree totally with what you both said. There are there are levels to go there. But I've actually, I've, I've changed my mind to say Exceeded, and I think it's the thing that Paul brought up there that I didn't really um, think of, the whole leader on the, sh- on the pitch thing. Um, I, I think he should be captain um, next season. And again, if you'd told me that this time, if you'd have told me this time last year that Erdegaard would have a really good season and, and be really good, I'd say, yeah, he's a really good player. <laughs> of course he will. Yeah. I think he'll be even better next year. If you'd have told me that I'd be sitting here saying, I think he should be captain, and I kind of think he already is in a way, uh, probably with Xhaka, um, you know, that, that probably tips me into exceeded. But with the caveat that, um, I'm, I'm actually minded to be harsh with him. That was my initial thought because I think he's so good and because I think we've only seen 80, 85% of it um, so far. But it, it's a process. He's still young. I think this is his first season like at home somewhere. And so, you know, you can't... We, you know, from Henri, Bergkamp, all of those great players, Pires, we didn't get the absolute top level of them straight away. Um, you know, they had a good start and then they tipped into Supernova. Um, and look, I'm not saying Odegaard's going to be as good as as, as those necessarily. Um, but but you know what? He could. He could. I think he's got that much talent. I really do. So, But I, I'm going to say exceeded because of the leadership aspect. Yeah. I mean, the only players that created more chances than him this season in the Premier League were Trent Alexander-Arnold with 90, Bruno Fernandes with 89, and Kevin De Bruyne with 87. Um, worth noting though, in terms of per 90, mm. Odegaard's rate and Bruno Fernandez's rate were almost identical, as was Trent Alexander Arnold. De Bruyne on a per 90 basis, pretty far ahead of the rest of the pack there. So, you know, I, I mean, and again, that that's not the only thing he's meant to do. He has other responsibilities. I also think one of the reasons he overperformed for me a little bit is he he is he is a runner, he is a worker, he is someone who works hard at both ends. And I think we really saw that the idea that we're somehow lightweight with him in the team was, I, I think, rebuffed a little bit, rebuked a little bit, uh, rebutted is the word I'm looking for. I got it on the third try. Anyway, you get the point. Um, okay, let's move into the more sort of forwardy area. I don't think we really have any more midfielders, although it depends you know, how you want to classify these people. Let's talk Emil Smith-Rowe. He got the number 10 shirt. He provided a huge impact off the bench early in the season, battled for his place with Martinelli at times, um, I, I think it's an interesting season for Smith Rowe because it it's one where I definitely came around from thinking this guy's going to be a 10, you know, this guy's going to be an eight, this guy's going to be an interior to thinking he can be more of an inverted winger in the way he was being used a lot this season. Um, I think that there are things in his game he can still develop, but obviously in terms of output, it's hard to argue. So Tim, I'll start with you underperform met or overperform for ML Smith Rowe. Uh, this is, there's so many caveats with this. I'm, I'm going to say Met. I, I'd love to say exceeded because he got into double figures for goals, and that was really what I wanted to see from him. 
Um, as you know, I've long been on the, he's a wide forward and that's what he is uh, kind of boat because that's what I saw in the youth team. And I went back and looked at his goals and the, the amount of goals he's got, that Pires goal, you know, that just rushing in from the left, kind of curling it into the far corner on the right foot, lots of goals like that. And I think they're so hard to stop. And particular, and, and he did that essentially without much much else threat in the penalty area. The whole point in being able to score that goal is usually because the striker kind of occupies people. And we played a lot of the season without a striker in the penalty area. Albeit, one of the things I really found out looking at his goals was that you know that you know how they're front loaded to the beginning of the season, and that is mainly because of injury. But when I went back and looked at them for the piece I wrote last week. The, the amount of times that Bamiyang's involved is actually quite surprising. And Lacazette, it, it, and, and I think partly because Bamiyang had that box threat and it gave the defender someone to mark, but also because Bamiyang whipped the ball round to the left more naturally, whereas Lacazette, yeah. he gets it, he turns, he whips it out to the right to Saka. Um, so I think with like someone like Gabriel Jesus, we could see more of that from Smithrow. But the reason I've had to downgrade to Met is just because of the physical um, aspect. You know, that's the second season in a row. He's not. He's only been able to deliver for half a season. And yeah. for me, the question mark is not over talent or ability at all. I think he's got more levels to go. It's can his body handle a whole season? That That is my my number one question for next season, and it couldn't really this year. Um, and, and to be fair, he wasn't injured, injured, so he hung in there. He just played like 80% fit a lot of the time. So maybe you could look at that the other way and say, well, actually, he wasn't actually out, um, you know, out, out, as it were, to coin a phrase, but... And so maybe that does show a little bit more sign of robustness and physical maturity. But yeah, until he gets that full season under his belt, you know, um, without kind of limping through large parts of the season, that question mark's going to exist. Yeah, I mean, he scored 10 goals on 5.8 expected. His finishing was exceptional. Now you could say that, well, that's a clear indication that there's some regression coming, you know, that he just overperformed, that he got lucky. I do think he is an exceptional finisher. The interesting thing is he only had two assists. Um, you know, it's funny. He was in the 93rd percentile for non-penalty goals and 72nd percentile for non-penalty expected goals. Good. But 13th percentile for ex- expected assists. You know, 41st percentile for shot-creating actions. Yeah. I kind of thought... Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, so I, I looked into all of this for the piece I wrote last week, and like my, mm-hmm. my kind of um, conclusion was A... Like the wide left, that's who that's who is mainly set up to score in Arteta's Arsenal. Wide left, Abamyang, Smithrow, Martinelli, like those guys, like Saka does more of the creative stuff. Mm-hmm. But also if you look at some of his other actions, he's doing a lot more like a lot more shots than last season. And I think that's because he's on the end of moves, whereas when he was playing in the ten, obviously he's in the build up but also like a lot more carrying, a lot more dribbling. And he's really, really good at that. He's really good at uh, dri- like carrying the ball into the area. And he did a shitload more of that this season. And I'm sure that's mainly because he was on, you know, in the wide forward spot. But I'm also sure he was told that. Like this to me, compl- you can see the conversation that happened between him and Arteta last year. You can see that, look, here's your number 10 shirt. Here's your contract. Yeah. Well done, but we need more of this. You're good at this. Do this. And I think you saw that. Yeah, and and like 
I'm going to give him... I think I will give him Met because I think that for him to have overperformed, he would have needed to nail down a spot and made it his, period, end of story. Right? He has the talent to do that. Now, he would have had to do that at the expense of a Martinelli, who also has the talent to keep anybody out of a team on their day. And there's nothing wrong with players sharing positions. But Bakayo Saka made a position his, and it can't be taken from him. And if he's not playing that position, he's playing somewhere else, but he's starting. You know, and there are players like that. Um, could Emil Smith-Rowe have taken Shaka's left eight position if his passing was a little crisper, if his on-the-ball work was a little cleaner? I think he could have. You know, could he have had a false nine opportunity at some point when Lacazette was was flagging? I think there was still maybe just a, just enough question marks that Arteta had. And, you know, Arteta's been very vocal about what he thinks Smith-Rowe is capable of and what he should be doing, right? He's number 10 for Arsenal. He should be getting, what he, what he said, like 20 goals and 10 assists a season. He said, he quoted something ridiculous, you know, 15 goals and 10 assists. Thing. But he had a wonderful season for output. But I think given the fact that, as Tim pointed to, there were some physical issues he flagged at the end of the season, um, the, the inability to really put his foot down and make himself the, the must-start guy and maybe just a little bit of a lack of clarity for me on exactly what what his niche is in terms of what he's going to give this squad. I mean, I, I like him as a late arriver into the box, right? The the second man runs. He's got a great eye for where to arrive. That What was the goal where he just passed it in from the top of the box? Chelsea. The, Chelsea, yeah. I mean, that if he, you know, that that kind of arrival, and so that reminds me of, of, of Ramsey, right? I mean, just arriving late in the box, but he doesn't have the engine yet for that role. So it'll be interesting to see what he develops into. There's still plenty of time. We're talking about a very young player who's going to be very good. But, Paul, I will say upper end of Met on the output level, fantastic. But in terms of really grabbing a position by the throat and making it his, I, th- I think he would have needed to do that to, to really hit outperform. Yeah. Uh, I'm going, I love, love, love Emil Smithrow. We all do, yeah. Yeah. What's not to love? I'm going to say Met, but I'm very worried. And the reason I'm worried is it's either – his lack of confidence because of his physical challenges. You got to trust your body. And that's one thing Saka's had going for him. Um, he knows he's going to be strong and fit. Um, but he has not, when he hasn't been giving the output, I didn't see enough impact within games, enough personality. And I don't think his life's uh, to your, your dual point of he, that, attacking eight position or whatever position was there to be kind of made his this season. Yeah. His job is not about to get any easier if we bring in Gabriel Jesus, if Enketia goes on a run and scores a few goals. Uh, we bring in Fabio Vieira, and he's an actual 8-10 that can play from the left, for example. Like, there's a lot of things, you know, we, if we bring in Yuri Tielemans or Zinchenko or one other, like... Uh, Emil Smith Rowe is in grave danger of becoming a super sub. Um, yeah. Where if he like if Martinelli performs the way he should, like he, I, I know we'll have five subs and we shouldn't worry about who the starting eleven is. But his job is about to get twice as hard, and we may look back on this season and say feel that this Met was a bit of a missed opportunity, bordering on underperform, because. It was there to be had, and next season it's going to get real t- Like, if we do all the things we should do, it's going to get real, real tough to work out why Emil Smithrow, whom I love, should be a starter. 
And he just needs to impress whether he plays for England or for Arsenal when he's not scoring goals and impact. Like it can't always be pass and run. You have to have your own threat. You have to pull players towards you and embarrass them more often. And I think that's what he needs to do next season and quickly. Yeah, and you make a good point. The the positions he play plays or position, however you want to look at it, you know, it, it is it is getting a bit congested. The, I mean, he he played nineteen hundred twenty one minutes in the Premier League. Martinelli played eighteen hundred and sixty. So they really did split it. Um, they both started twenty one games. Smith Rowe had the ten goals, but on five point eight expected. Martinelli had six goals, but on seven point two expected. Um, six assists for Martinelli versus two for Smith Rowe, and Martinelli had, you know, a bit more expected assists per ninety and expected assists total. So. They are players that I think are very different. But to Paul's point, I think one thing Paul pointed out that is really, um, really jumps out to me. Martinelli can press like mad and run for days and get up and down the wing and really do the work in a way that Smith Rowe doesn't always look like he's able to do. And, and I definitely think that when I look at the ability to stay involved in games and not get too peripheral um, and not get too peripheral. Smith Rowe will have to be better off the ball. I think it, it does look like we are going after these pressy front footed forwards and Smith Rowe can be that. I think maybe it's just a case of his, his athleticism coming up a notch his, you know, his, his engine just improving and, and whether that's possible, we'll find out. And Tim, I genu- you type- can, yeah, mm-hmm. Could I just say one thing? Like, I genuinely mean he could be competing with Eddie Enkadia and Fabio Vieira, because if either one of those has a good run, then Gabriel Jesus is still going to start. Saka is still going to start. Jesus will be coming off the left wing or Martinelli. Uh, Fabio Vieira will play the 8-10 and, like, He's going to get. He's literally competing against all of those guys. It's not just Martinelli. Yeah, Tim typed something in the chat that I want you to mention, just because I think it's a really good point about the role he could he could find himself in. Yeah, I, I put in the chat he he could be in danger, and and like this all sounds harsh to to some listeners, I'm sure, but this is because he's a good player, and I think it's okay to be harsh with the good and talented players. But like he could risk being like the final third Maitland Niles. You know, we've talked about all the positions he could play in and has played in, but hasn't nailed. You know, if you're being harsh, we bought Erdegaard. Um, it looks like we're buying Fabio Vieira. We're buying Tielemans. Like these are all roles he could have made potentially obsolete in the way that sat, like you say, sat. I mean, and may, maybe we're being unfair comparing everyone to Saka, but Saka's made the right wing obsolete. Basically, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like there, there is no question, you know, with with that one. So he he could just fall into a bit of a rotation. That might be good for Arsenal. That might be, yep. you know, that might be absolutely fine to have like a, a high-end player who can do all of yep. those roles. But for him and his career, he should be looking, I think at that left wing role, he should be looking at that and saying, right, I've got to make that mine. And that means I've got a fight tooth and nail with Martinelli. And that's that's a big fight. Yeah, it, it is. And, and by the way, like this could come across as concern trolling. If you're listening to this and just being like, what are you guys talking about? He's amazing. I like he is a super talented player that we are very lucky to have. And yet there is this sort of pivotal moment in your early 20s where like 
the opportunity opens and you grab it with both hands and you become a star in that team and you just go into the stratosphere. And that's like what Sack has done and where he's headed. Now, the idea that Smith Rowe has to right now be where Saka is, that's not the point. The point is, with Martinelli and with Gabriel Jesus and with Fabio Vieira and potentially Tielemans and Enkedia and you know whoever else you, you want to put in this cluster, it's sort of this interchangeable mush of really dynamic fo- young forwards all competing for playing time. And I, I definitely think Smith Rowe will get playing time. What I want to see is that stratospheric talent that's in there force its way to the, to the forefront so much that he's always in the team and always delivering at a high level. And of course, if he does that, it'll be at the expense of someone else, but that's fine. The irony is the goal isn't for all of our young players to be good. The goal is for a couple of them to be stars, Right. You get two Saka level talents. No one's going to cry if the other ones fall away. No one's going to be upset if the other, you know, I mean, would it make me sad? I love Gabriel Martinelli. If Gabriel Martinelli doesn't make it at the top level because Smith Rowe just ate his lunch and took his spot and became a star, that's a good thing for Arsenal. You know, that's a good thing. So it's, it's his time to do that. And, and I think the talent is in there. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So let's move on from Smith Rowe and get to Gabriel Martinelli. I think it's a natural hand-in-hand one to pick. I, w- I see them as such different players, and yet they found themselves really as the interchangeable options in some way for one another. They played almost the exact same minutes. In total output, 10 goals and 2 assists for Emil Smith Rowe, 6 goals and 6 assists for Martinelli. Right, the XGXA output for Martinelli a little higher, but you know those don't actually count on the scoreboard, so you can throw them away if you're so inclined. Um, Tim, I'll start with you on Martinelli. I admit this is a player that I see superstardom in, and against some of the best teams, he has a tendency to flash some of the highest level talent. Both he and Smith Rowe can find finishes that are just really top drawer, really exceptional. I don't think either of them did it consistently enough this season. That goes for Martinelli. It pains me to say it. I'm curious where you have him on the underperformed met or overperformed level. I'm going to say exceeded. And the reason I'm going to say exceeded is not necessarily because I completely agree with what you said. Um, again, in, we could have the Smith Rowe conversation about him as well. Like, yeah, I agree. They're, they're mm-hmm. competing uh, for those two spots. I agree with you. I think. I think there is potential superstardom there, which is not the same as saying that will definitely happen, but it's in there. The, the reason I'm going to say exceeded, though, is, is more through circumstance because Aubameyang went. And, you know, before December, Martinelli wasn't really getting much of a look in because Aubameyang was a big blocker for him. And obviously, Aubameyang, that problem went away for Martinelli. And the instant that happened Martinelli starts starting and he starts most games so that's why it succeeded because if you look at where he was in like October November where he's getting very few minutes and we were going shit like when are we ever going to get this guy in the team when are we ever going to see him you know and then from some quarters not from us but from some quarters like Arteta hates him and all of this and then Aubameyang goes and bang He's an absolute regular after that. So that's why it succeeded. But that's not... I mean, that is a situation he forced, I guess, because Arteta trusted him enough to do that um, in that scenario. But yeah, he basically he's gone from like very much a bench player who is coming on for the like the last eight minutes or so to a starter. So that's why it succeeded. But, um, you know, I won't be this generous this time next year because I'm expecting things from Mr. Martinelli. 
it, it falls in the exact same bucket for me as Smith Rowe in, in the respect that too good not to be doing more. And the only difference is, here's where age comes into it. Paul, like, Eddie and Kedia, Emma Smith Rowe, Martinelli, Bukayo Saka. And Kedia just turned 23. Smith Rowe's just turning 22. Martinelli and Saka just turning 21. If Enkedia did this season what he did this season at 20 going on 21, I would probably feel differently versus 22 going on 23. And those are biases that maybe I need to throw away, but I have sort of a, a time scale in my head of when you should start to see the real end product of a, a first-team starter kind of player. Martinelli being one year younger than Smith Rowe means that he gets sort of one year of grace in my evaluation of him. But, you know, players do develop at different times. Their bodies develop at different times. And they're ready for, you know, big big boy football at different times. Um, and so I, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily right to uh, apply these age-related criteria for what they should be delivering. Um, you know, especially given that different positions have different developmental cycles. I think Gabriel Martinelli is a player who I see as having upside that is what Saka's upside is. And in Saka, we saw it convert into not just potential, but realization. Largely realization this season. Maybe not at the absolute level he can achieve, but there. And, and I don't think we saw that from Martinelli. Similar to the point that I'd like to see Smith Rowe make a position his, I think Martinelli needs to do that too. And he nearly did. The funny thing is when we started playing great, it was when Martinelli became a first-team starter. Those two things went hand-in-hand. Hand. You always talk about the click, Paul. The click happened when Martinelli came into the team and became a starter. I I love this player, just as I love Emma Smith-Rowe, and I expect more than maybe what we saw down the stretch. And so I will give him a met because he was good and he should be good, and I won't give him an overperform because I don't think he overperformed what he is already capable of doing in this team. My one caveat for both he and Smith-Rowe, and Tim touched on, I actually think the left side of the attack in general suffered the most from personnel issues. They suffered when Tierney was out. They suffered when Tomiyasu was out. Because if you remember, what did we do when Tomiyasu was out? We let Cedric go forward and we held Tierney back. And they suffered from having Shaka in the left eight. Not because he's bad, but he's just not through ball-y. He's not one 2 right? He's not combination-y. And where did Lacazette go? Lacazette ran away and hid in the right channel, right? In the right half space or dropped back into midfield. And the player that I think struggled the most to to capitalize on our better attack were the players playing in the left side. If Martin Odegaard was playing left eight all season, I think you would have been ha- maybe having the same kind of conversation about Bakayo Saka. So I'll give that as a caveat. I'm going to give an upper end to Matt. Where do you have uh, Gabriel Martinelli? Uh, high end Matt. Um, while I agree with everything you lads said, uh, the, what I would say, uh, like Martinelli has never really had a starting spot in the team. And he got one this year. And I think... <clears throat> Once he got his starts, he looked really good for a while. I think he ran a little bit out of gas, and it, it, that's a lot of strain on a young fella. Not everybody's Saka. Uh, and I think to expect he was going to perform at those levels from the moment he got in the team, that's generally not how it works with a young talent. You get a run, then they take you out for a while, then you put you back in again. problem was we were putting back in Smith Rowe. It wasn't necessarily completely fit so we were putting maybe martinelli back in when we should have rested him so i think he did really well in terms of martinelli's game i think he ran out of gas towards the end of the season so in our own minds we've kind of pulled it back a little bit if if he'd ended stronger then 
you know, recency bounce, blah, blah, blah. What I, where I think he particularly overperformed was in his ability to contribute and his hold-up play, dropping into midfield, spraying the ball around, uh, taking care of the ball. That was not something he did a year ago. I, I think he's grown into the role. We, we can see what Arteta wanted him to do now because he's actually doing it. Um, and he's show, like we've seen what Aubameyang couldn't do when he was played from that side in terms of connecting with the rest of the team. Uh, like Aubameyang worked hard and did his best, but when you see Martinelli doing it, you see a guy who's committed to on and off the ball. Very often he'd bring he'd put Martinelli or he'd bring Martinelli on to cover a left back who was struggling or to shore up the team defensively on the left side because he he went from not being able to trust Martinelli to trusting Martinelli when he needed somebody to be trusted on that side. Mm. I think he's brought all that on. You can't assume that. That's what you hope for in a young player. How many times do we look at players and say, why don't you not so much run around and kick people, but why don't you do that part of the game that any one of us could do? Because it's not talent-based. It's about doing your job, being focused, following the plan. I think Martinelli stepped up massively where he could be just one of those kids who relies on talent and show and want to get goals and want to pad his stats and be a star. Like Project Martinelli, with his father behind him, is wholesome and good. And Martinelli learns his lessons and looks like a player for the... There's a reason Klopp loves this guy. And it's not because he runs around fast and presses and is attacking. It's because he's a whole game guy who Klopp would love to have plowing the left wing. And I yeah. think he should I think he he showed what we hoped he might do in that side. Okay. Any final thoughts on that, Tim? We'll move on. Uh no, no, no. Ha- happy to move on. Okay. Um I do want to mention that if I sound a little uh, worn out, it's because it's sweltering here about 95 degrees Fahrenheit. So I'm guessing that's what in the 35 35 Celsius range, something like that, probably and and humid. I spent the day at like a food truck type festival thing uh, out in that hot heat. And let me tell you, just, just trying Manscaped to feed your bastards. Uh, yes, exactly. All of you, them. You <laughs> threw it. You had to rent a truck and hand out food. I was like. a big game of Thrones fan. So we just actually did a battle of the bastards. Today. <laughs> um, but, but when I got the copy from, from Manscaped and it said sweaty sack summer, I had a little giggle, but let me tell you something. It is definitely, definitely <laughs> out there. Uh, it is not approaching. It is here. And you want comfort and the Kings of crotch comfort Manscaped. I'm just reading the copy. I promise has spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. I've had the honor of wearing them. They are brilliant. Their micromodal fabric is so soft. It's breathable. It gets you through those hot times. They even have a little area for keeping all the important stuff together. They trademarked it. They call it, and I kid you not, the jewel pouch. So you know it's serious. I think it's time you invest in those jewels. So let's, uh, here's what it says. Let your bulge breathe and get 20% off in free shipping by using the code ArsenalVision at manscaped.com. Let's say you're on a date. Oh no, where's this going? Let's see. And your partner catches that manscaped on the waistband of your underwear. It's almost guaranteed to raise some eyebrows and act like a billboard on the highway to Pleasure Town. That's, <laughs> that's what it says. 
right there in front of me. Uh, thanks to the Lawnmower 4.0, the best electric trimmer for below the waist grooming. The trimmers offer skin safe technology designed to trim hair on loose skin, so you uh, you do get comfort. I will say, in the summer, getting nice and shaved, getting the Manscaped boxer briefs with the with the micromoto fabric. Like it, it really is a good one-two punch to keep you feeling good. Tagless waistband hugs your body without digging in. Lays flat, feels good. Front fly opening gives you easy access, so you can actually, you know, use the bathroom. Uh, you can choose from an arrangement of designs and colors and sizes. It range from small to triple XL for all the guys out there. So get twenty percent off free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. That's twenty percent off and free shipping with the code Manscaped. No, with the code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. Once the boxers 2.0 touch your sack, you'll never go back. It says here. Okay, I have to admit, there's some days I just have to read their copy because how do you beat that? Well, one thing you can do, if, you, if you've taken care of the external part of your body, you can take care of the inter- internal part of your body. And it's no joke, AG1 from Athletic Greens, like I use it every day. You should use it every day. I had it sitting on my shelf. I wasn't actually using it yet. Uh, a friend of mine, Ian, who's a doctor, came in. He's like, oh, I take that. It's awesome. You should try it. So I did, and I love it. Swept out all of the probiotics and m- vitamin gummies that I was taking and stuff because they are junk. They didn't do anything. I don't know why I took them. Replaced it with one daily dose of AG1. Mix it in 12 ounces of water so you're actually getting water too, which is good for you. It's food-derived. It's probiotics. It's superfoods. It's adaptogens. It's just great stuff. And whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, daily, free, or gluten-free, it works with you. It contains less than one gram of sugar. Over 7,000 five-star reviews. And it costs less than a fancy cup of coffee every day. Plus, by the way, they are a philanthropic company. I should point that out. I really do love the fact that in 2020, for example, they donated over 1.2 million meals to kids in the No Kids Hungry program here in the United States. So uh, kudos to them for that. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. That's a lot of bonuses. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash vision. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional tool. And as a final point, as your business is growing, make sure you get the best talent. Indeed is the company we trust to recommend to get the best talent with instant match. Over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a post or else you don't pay. Virtual interviews, the feature we've been featuring lately because it saves you time and in this new hybrid work environment, Virtual interviewing is a part of the process. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. Indeed makes it easy to connect with your applicants. No need to install anything extra, so you don't have to get all techie. Saves you headaches. You can do all the interviewing, no downloading, no plugins, nothing, no purchases. After using Indeed's virtual interviews, most employers said it saved them days of hiring time, according to Indeed data. Right? So you hire them virtually. They can work virtually. You can collect the best talent. Indeed's unbelievable power for hiring partner. According to TalentNest, they deliver four times more hires than all other job sites combined. So sign up for Indeed now and get a $75 credit towards your first sponsored job, plus earn $500 in extra sponsored job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to learn more. Claim your credits at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire an Indeed team? Is that enough of that? Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> you guys. You guys. Uh, Elliot, quick question. They have the triple XL in stock. Do they have mm-hmm. the quadruple XL in stock? I'm going to just Manscaped. level with you, Paul. Yeah. I know you're a tall man, <laughs> but when you're talking about eating quadruple XL boxers, I've seen your waist size. It's not for your waist. So is there something you want to tell us? You know what they have? They have, They only have triple XL, but the, the jewel pouch goes up to 5XL. There you go. Uh, okay. Customize it to your needs. Maybe I'll just wait till they're in stock. I wear a medium in the waistband and a small. That you know what? Never mind. Let's just let's just get past this. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna do a speed round. We're gonna do a speed round. Tim okay. Bukasaka overperformed. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's great. Paul? Yeah, obviously. The one, the one thing I'll add, uh, I think mentally he showed he he trusts himself, he believes himself, he yeah. thinks he belongs. Uh, you know, the whole thing with Azpilicueta, that penalty, winning the penalty, the 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 righteous anger, the taking hold of the ball, the putting it in the back of the net, scoring the penalty the next game, even though Martinelli's supposed to be taking them. I think that's a guy who's announcing he belongs on the stage. Kick him all you point. like. There, there's definitely... There- with Smith Rowe and Martinelli are great, but they still have that. I'm a young player who wants to show I'm going to arrive. And Saka has that thing about him where he's just, I've arrived. I'm yeah. I'm just a star now, and he carries himself with that swagger. He does not have and, uh, imposter and, and, syndrome, and I think a couple of the younger guys mm-hmm. are a little bit afraid. They're they're pretenders. They're imposters. They're they're grown into it, but Saka knows. He knows. They will get there. Yep. Okay. Um, another easy one, I think. Nicola Pepe underperformed, mm-hmm. and you could say it's. Because of the manager, you could say because of the player. I think to say it's because of the manager is a cop-out. The player can be better than he's shown. He, he just can be. I know he had that big goal for us against Wolves. Uh, yeah, against Wolves. Um, just too many games where he played and looked like he didn't really understand how to fit into the collective. And that that has to be a byproduct of not doing the work on the front end or on the back end so that on the front end you see the effort. I, I do think that Mikel Arteta can work on integrating the whole of his squad more and making all the pieces feel like they have a role to play. And maybe that could have coaxed a better season out of Nicola Pepe. We are where we are with the player. Not a lot of time to devote to him because I don't think he's going to be here in the future, but it's an underperform for me. Tim, how about you? Yeah, 100%. And again, you know, this time last year, he ended the 2021 season really, really well. And you think, ah, here we go. Have Has, has Pepe finally exploded? No, he hasn't. <laughs> no, he hasn't. Yeah. He just it just turns out he's mega inconsistent, and that's what he is for Arsenal anyway. Uh, for my money, uh, well, sorry, for my part, I completely lost interest in this player quite early in the season. I wasn't yeah. invested in the idea of him playing, the idea of him coming on. I was just like, this guy's just waiting to go out the door. We're all waiting for him to go out the door. Not interested anymore. Um, and I felt like that for quite a long time, to the point that, like, mentally, in my mind, he stopped being an Arsenal player probably around Christmas. And, yeah, yeah whatever. Good luck. But, sorry, not interested. Yeah. I mean, there are players that come to your club that don't hit the level you think they could have, that move on and maybe sometimes even go on and have a perfectly fine career it's just rare that they cost 72 million pounds. And I do think if we had paid 45 million pounds for him, we would have just looked at it as eh, never quite clicked. But, you know, that extra money that <laughs> Raul managed to get out of us is a weird way to put that, but I'm going to put it that way like that. It, it's always made this a more polarizing kind of topic. I, I do think it's worth pointing out. I think as recently as last summer, I may have had him as the candidate for a breakout season or something because you know second consecutive season he finished as one of our best players you know we think Enkedia had a hot run to the end of the season Pepe had a hotter one last season Pepe finished last season as our best player he really did Saka was fading Tierney was out neither Aubameyang nor Lacazette were playing well and Pepe finished the season on a tear and so it's absolutely an underperform for me because he showed he could get in and make a difference and be a valuable key contributor to the attack not just you know, building play, but with actual output. And it didn't happen. And I, I think 
Whatever you think about Mikel Arteta, I am not, you can't convince me that he just did not want to use Pepe. Maybe he found excuses to not use him when it was borderline, but I think Pepe could have made himself undroppable or could have made himself more valuable and never managed to do it. So it's it's a big underperform for me. And there will be people that want to want to tie Arteta to that. And I'm okay if you want to do that. I just I don't think the player has enough excuses for for that to be the case. Paul, what about you? Uh, yeah, I agree. It's sad. I think he seems like a lovely fella. Um, this has been a massive disappointment as a season. Um, he ha- obviously has plenty of talent. Doesn't suit our system. Um, and I think he needs the love, the support of a manager. Like, he needs that belief, and he's just not getting, going to get it in this scenario, this situation. We had too much going on. Nothing really suits him here. He's lost his buddies now. Pepe or uh, Laka and Alba gone. Uh, that that won't have helped uh, as he was part. You know, Genduzi, that that whole crowd one by one. Um, it's a shame. It is what it is. Uh, he could have done more. Um, and uh, like you could see, he was trying, but it's just not in him. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I don't think it's going to be an Arsenal issue for much longer. And it will be a weird career, a weird, a weird Arsenal player to think back on, I think, in a few seasons. I, I I, still find myself believing there's talent in there that could have helped us. And the fact that it never showed is is a disappointment. It just is. Okay. Um, we're not going to do Aubameyang because what's the point, right? I mean... He underperformed expectation, which was that he would be the leading scorer for Arsenal. We were paying him to do that. We brought him in, you know, after the summer. The expectation was that he, you know, he was the captain. He was going to be the leading scorer and he was going to be the the player that drove us forward. Obviously didn't happen. Whether or not you think that's his fault or Arteta's fault is immaterial because Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang left the club in a way that cannot possibly be viewed as a positive for anybody involved. So, underperform for Aubameyang. And if you want to say it's not his fault or it is his fault, you know, that's, that's for you to decide, but I don't think we need to cover it. So let's go to two players that were here for the whole season. Uh, I believe the last two we're going to cover, and then we'll do Arteta and Edu. And let's do Lacazette first. And I find it really tricky, a difficult one, because going into the season. Do you? I, I do. I think it's tricky. I think it's tricky because I don't think I thought very highly of Lacazette, if I'm being completely honest. And I don't think Lacazette had a very good season. I think he underperformed expectations, which is do literally anything that a striker does, please. Did he Did he have one goal this season from open play? Two goals from open he, play? He had four. Uh, I think I think it might be two from open play, yeah. Yeah, yeah. two from open play. I mean, he obviously had the equalizer against Palace because I was there for that, and I remember that one and very Southampton. Clearly. And Southampton, yep. Um, But you absolutely cannot deny that from December to roughly April, when we were great, he did a lot of really important things. He had a lot of really good games. He was on the pitch. You cannot deny that he wore a shirt and stood on the pitch during the period where we were good. No, like, and so I think he underperformed, but I want to at least put the caveat in that the, the biggest problem with Lacazette is he ran completely out of the ability to contribute, and we didn't make the change away from him quicker. I think if Arteta had had a quicker trigger finger, tried Pepe at false nine, tried Smith Rowe, brought in Kedia in sooner, and Lacazette went transitioned from having really contributed kind of nicely to build up to just being replaced, 
We might have been like, you know what? Lacazette had a pretty good season transitioning us from Aubameyang into the next thing. But he didn't do that. Lacazette played to the point where he was painfully unproductive. And that's the lasting legacy of the season that I remember from him are the painfully unproductive moments. I got to say underperform ultimately though, because with the number of games he started at striker for Arsenal, he had a couple of open play goals and whatever else he did that's good, he had to do more than that. Paul, I'll let you come to the defense first. Underperformed solidly for me, but uh, where do you where do you land on him? Okay, I'm not going to bore people with my opinion because they probably know what it's going to be if I expand on it, but I'll give you the short version. I'm going to go with Matt. I think as a center forward, you football elitists with your demands for goals and assists, that's so passe. We played, we saw the football, and we'll get to our, our Ted in a little bit, and we saw the football with him on the pitch, and he gave us access to central areas, which we have not seen under Emery or Arteta before that. And we had good passing patterns, and he was a very positive, stabilizing force behind the scenes on the pitch when we needed that. We lost our captain, and not only did we not miss a beat, we took a step up. And I'm going to give him all sorts of credit for... Maintain like when you have such a young team and for them to perform well for so long and to keep us in the frame. And when he got really bad after the international break and then got COVID, that was two games. That was uh, we played Crystal Palace and he was terrible, but we were terrible. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. We played Brighton and we were slightly less bad and he was slightly less bad. And then he basically got uh, sick. And then he came on. We don't really know if he might have responded a bit, so but you can't prove a negative. So, like footballistically, he we all saw it. You can, I think he was really important to how our season went well without actually being particularly good himself. He definitely trailed off as a striker. He underperformed as a component within the team and the football. I think he he surpassed my expectations of how important he might be. And I'm going to give him a met. And I've got a much yep. longer version of that, but I won't bore you all with it. I'm going to disagree with everything everybody says about Lacazette in terms of him. We should have scrapped him earlier. Because if I'm Arteta, I'm going to do what exact. I'm going to keep playing the team that's winning up to that international break. And what happened after that, it's a whole other discussion. And you can say I would have brought in people before him, but we might have lost the games we won. Bring in Pepe, you might have lost it. We won all our games. Like you bring yeah. in Pepe earlier, you're telling me we won't drop points, even if Pepe does scores a goal, that, uh, you I, know, etc. I, et I, I yeah. hear you. Let me yeah. let me just say this about that though, right? Okay. We were winning games when Cedric was playing. Let's say Tamiyasu got fit. Should we have not brought Tamiyasu back? Because you say, well, we're winning. Keep playing Cedric. Tamiyasu like, is a hundred percent known upgrade. Pepe is not a other options. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yes. Paul, I get your point, which is whatever options we thought might have been the ones to pick over. Roll of the dice. Martinelli, Smith Rowe, Pepe. I mean, yeah. And, and Kedia was unproven. No, I, look, I totally take your point, And I will say this. I agree with you to a point that there were things he did this season that were incredibly valuable to us being good during the period where we're good. And he deserves credit for that. And I can still sleep at night saying that, Two non-penalty goals from your striker yeah. who plays, you know, who starts sucked. twenty games. And look, yeah. this is a guy 
who at Lyon, like had 28 goal seasons and 27 goal seasons. And even, you know, for us, 13 goal, 14 goal, you know, reasonable. Sure. This this just dropped to a level where I, I, I kind of think, Tim, that, you know, it's kind of like Iwobi. Alex Iwobi was always very good for Arsenal. But ultimately, Alex Iwobi was one of our forwards and he never had goals and he never had assists. And so in my book, all the connective tissue stuff that he did and the, you know, the possession orientation and the, the ball progression, whatever you want to say, when you're one of the three forwards and you have one goal and one assist at the end of the season or whatever it is, I'm still comfortable saying it's not, it's not enough. And so I can square the circle of Lacazette was important to what we did that was effective. Lacazette did not do enough striker things and, and come down on the side of underperform. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I, I'm going to take the gloves off, and I'm going to be a lot harsher <laughs> than both Please of do. you. I thought he had a fucking disaster of a season. Um, All right, here we go. <laughs> absolute disaster. Um, very, very costly. So first off, we're, we're talking captain, right? And 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 look, I give you December, January. Yeah, fine. So first of all, I think the. The, the you know the contractual obligation we have to say about all the link up play enormously overrated like going into the center circle and knocking the ball back or passing it <laughs> wide to Saka I'm sorry I don't care it's like it, it that's just I, I don't understand why we venerate that so much the reason he he's able to do that is because nobody follows him there because nobody gives a shit that he's going there <laughs> right it's very easy for him to pick up the ball in the center circle and pass it to Saka because no one cares that he's doing it like no one goes up to him, oh my god I must stop him from passing the ball to Saka 40 yards from goal no one cares no one marks him there Right, we've got other players that can do that who play in that area. We don't need him there. So I think all of that is enormously overrated for a start. When it came down to it at the end of the season, one of our most experienced players, our captain, he didn't start any of the last six or seven games because he lost his place to Eddie Nketiah. That, for a 30-year-old striker who's been with us for many years, who cost £50 million, that is a disaster. And yeah. look at the response to him leaving, right? It, like it happened a couple of days ago, like a last shrug. week. <laughs> Absolute shrug. Absolute mm -hmm. shrug. Because he let us, us down. And as a senior player, I think you can say that, he let us down at a crucial moment. I've watched all these other players. And, and the thing is as well, right? So the, the December, January stuff... The thing is, I don't accept that his performances dipped. I think what happened was that he's just doing the same stuff he always does. It's just it got figured out. Yeah. Like very quickly, these teams who aren't Norwich and Leeds were like, oh, he's just going to go to the halfway line. <laughs> who cares? We'll stay here then. Or actually, oh, no, we can bring the defensive line 10 yards forward because this fucker's just going to stay in the centre circle. And I watched all these players adapt and do different things around him, and not just the younger players. And you might say that the younger players, yeah, okay, they're younger, they're a bit more malleable. So, yeah, maybe Smithrow, maybe he can go from number 10 to wide left and score us 10 goals. I watched Granite Xhaka go to left eight and play in areas that, you know, I didn't think I'd ever be... And, and I saw him do that fine, 
okay? Lacazette would not adapt when it became absolutely crystal clear that teams were pushing their defensive line up 20 yards on us and we needed him to do something different. We didn't need him... I mean, it would have been nice if he could have become Thierry Henry. And I know, like, there are things that you're not... But he would not adapt. He wouldn't change. He didn't respond. And for, like, a senior player, I think that's inexcusable, basically. And also, I still have big problems with his lack of fitness. I still think... And look, there there might be, like... You know, everyone's, like, made up differently and everything like that. But again, this is a 30-year-old player... And I, I listen to our fans talk about him like he's fucking 40. You know, it's like, oh, he can't, he can't really run and he can only do, he's supposed to be in his physical prime and he's not. I, I think it was a disaster of a season. Enormous underperform because he's better than that, I think. I don't think he's a shit player, but I think he yeah. had a terrible season. So there you go. Well, you and I diverge slightly. His coffee. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of that is right. And where we diverge is simply this: I think the stuff he did when we were good in build-up, it was actually a bit more um, impactful. A bit more. I think it was a little bit more um, hurtful to the opposition than just a square ball outside. Like that would be my only. I don't have a lot of pushback. My pushback would basically just be because, like, I was saying for a long time. I don't even think he's that much better at hold-up play than Aubameyang. I don't think Aubameyang should be out on the left. I, I think he puts his back to goal and he plays a wall pass or he gives it sideways. I do think that there was some stuff he did during that good run where he was turning, carrying it past a player, you know, playing slightly more hurtful progressive balls. But look, the, the numbers don't lie. He's in the second percentile for non-penalty goals. He's in the, you know, 26th percentile for shots. He's in the 40th percentile for expected assists. So it's not like he was oh, you playing him on a plate. Goals and your well, assists goals and assists and your assists. I know. shots. What's funny is if you look at the, the areas where he has the big green bars on FB ref, there are things like tackles, dribblers tackled, <laughs> you know, um, interceptions and, and pressing and stuff. So the credit I'm giving him is more for the, the effort and commitment he made to doing the dirty work that had to be done for our tennis system to work. But as I said to begin with, Tim, like the, if you said to me, we could have a guy who had 12 goals and four assists at striker, 12 non-penalty goals and would be a slight step down in linking play. I'd absolutely take it because those goals win you games. Like the, the reality is Cristiano Ronaldo (laughs) was terrible in a lot of ways as a player this season. But United needed his goals. At the end of the day, they needed those goals. And there, there is a point at which goals goals make all the difference. And and I, I don't think you can have a striker who think, scores two non-penalty goals. I think goals. Ronaldo massively uh, underperformed despite his goals and cost his team yeah. in more ways than he helped. He's just the yeah. only guy who actually shone at any point. And that's it's a great. It's a great debate, yeah. And I, I think that's the exact opposite of Lacazette. I think he looked terrible as a striker. Absolute, like, absolutely underperformed as a striker. Met expectations in terms of his impact on the team. Uh, and, and, like, we should do a podcast special where the prerequisite before it starts is Tim and I have seven pints and are basically shit-faced, and then we argue about Lacazette because we don't have the time to do it now. I have one question. When did the opponents figure us out? Because I've heard this said a load of times. 
we won everything up to the international break. We were all shit against Crystal Palace and Brighton, who had already figured this out in that we played them already and they'd neutralized us the way they did. And we were terrible after the... I don't know that it was that they figured out Lacazette. I really don't. And then we didn't see Lacazette. So I like a, a, it's not a, a trick come back at you, but I'm not actually sure when we think they figured this out because there were those two games, those guys were already good against us because they just pressed the fuck out of us and we're not very good against that. I don't know that it was a Lacazette issue, but but I could be wrong. In, you know, in in like I'd pinpoint it about that Wolves away game, February the 10th, and and to be absolutely fair, Lacazette had a really good chance in that game to score. And, and, and like, I wouldn't have a go at him for, I mean, he should have yeah. scored it, but, you know. But we kept like, winning, um, didn't we? In spite of, and we kept winning one nil and hanging on for dear life for the last twenty minutes because teams were working out. I'm not uh, a snob, Tim. I, I, they've got no, nothing on do, the I, counter. Yeah, I mean, if that goes the other way, like that—that's a problem with like football being a low-scoring sport. Is as we saw with the Emery unbeaten run, right? Like you can you can get a lot of false reads off just results as but, silly as that but sounds. But where did we th- this team of young kids get their character to withstand all that pressure and get those one zeros and their two Well, wins? you know me with character. I'm not, I don't care about it that much. You do. Uh, you you <laughs> like the wins. Look, yeah. Look, I'll, I'll say this. Um, yeah. You, look, he was terrible. You, don't get me wrong. He was terrible, but he... Well, he met expectations in terms of the say, right? mysterious he, contribution in the middle of the pitch and our Paul, football happening despite it. Yeah. If we had Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah on the wings and Lacazette mm-hmm. did the stuff he was doing, you could just about talk me into the idea that there's enough goals in the side that the role he's playing was sufficient. But when you've got a 20-year-old Bukayo Saka and a 20-year-old Gabriel Martinelli... But there Martinelli, were enough goals in the side. You take that period from when, we, when the football mm-hmm. clicked to the international break... We were scoring the rate, the number, like Scott's been through the numbers with me. We were getting the points, yeah. we are getting the goals, we are getting the goal difference. It's like, you really could have a really long conversation on, yeah. on, on, on stuff. But like, I will say this, one I of my favorite agree with stats you, he sucked. Like, for, as, a, as a center forward doing, like, the things you know, yeah, he sucked. It, it, there was a there was a really funny stat making the round at one point. I think it was in January. It was like Harry Kane had more shots in January than Lacazette had had for the whole season, or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, or like more shots in two games. Anyway, um, let, let's do Enkedia. Yeah, and I think it's an easy one. Whatever you think of him going forward, he overperformed expectations, and 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 ironically, through March, he probably would have been an underperform because he just wasn't trusted once again and he wasn't used. And if we're going to criticize Emma Smith-Rowe for not making a position his, and we're going to criticize Martinelli for not making a position his, whatever it was that Eddie Nketiah needed to do to show the manager that he should be the guy, especially when it was Lacazette doing it all by himself and not scoring and not shooting, he didn't do it. But then he got the chance, and you can't argue with what he did with it. And I would say, based purely on getting a chance. And he said in his interview, I just want a chance. If I don't score goals when I get a chance and that's on me, he got a chance. He scored goals. I'll give him an overperformed, but it's an overperformed with the caveat that we should at least acknowledge that up until April, for whatever the reason, the manager did not feel that that player should have the chance, should be the striker, should replace a, a flagging Lacazette, should be out there. I mean, hardly played at all, but then he did and he scored. And so that's his season. Tim, yeah, completely agree. And, and you know, in hindsight, probably a player I've been uh, was too harsh on um, yeah. as well. Actually, I say too harsh. I don't think I was especially harsh, but like I probably forgot 
um, about, you know, his quality. And that's not me saying I think he's like world class or anything, but I think I probably forgot that there's actually a player there. Um, and, and I think he has improved on other things as well. I've always had the faith that if you put Inketia in front of goal, he'll stick it in the net. I think he's developed other parts of his game. And actually, one of the things that I thought was quite interesting was the very first time he came back into the team and he was coming on as a sub around Christmas. He was coming on wide left and I thought he looked good. I thought he looked good carrying the ball. And I think that could be quite interesting. Again, if we're in a position where we're chasing a game, and say we've already got Gabriel Jesus and you go, okay, let's put let's put Nketiah on there and let's keep swapping them over. Like I think there's potential there. I think there's more of a player um than I thought, while acknowledging that it's a it's a small sample size and I still, you know, I don't know that he's gonna be absolutely brilliant for five years or whatever. But look, he's just been given a five year contract and there's a bit of blowback, but not an awful lot. So that's an exceeded mm-hmm. for me. And let's see what happens next. Yeah, I mean, he he played. I mean, if I just said to you, top of your head, guess how many Premier League minutes Eddie Nketiah had this season, Tim? I'm going to say, well, given that he played most of the last six, I'm going to say in the five, six hundred minutes. Yeah, he had 835 minutes, oh. and about 730 of them came in, in the last run of games, like the last eight games. So, like... <laughs> He'd played about 120, 130 minutes prior to the last eight games. I, I just don't see how that how that is acceptable for any player who's a first team player. Like any player. I don't care how fringe you are. You know, Charlie Patino, fine, but like Eddie and Keddy should not be playing 130 Premier League minutes at 22 years old. Period. He should be playing more. And it's an underperform. But he got 730 minutes on the run in and performed and delivered and delivered at a very, very high level. So I land on overperformed. I just think what an interesting conversation it is to dive into why he couldn't get more than 130, 150 Premier League minutes prior to that run in. So it's an overperform for me, but Paul, I, I at least think that that, that conversation about why, why weren't there more minutes there earlier? I, th- I think it's an interesting one. Yeah, and I think we know the dynamics of that conversation. We need to go through it again. Uh, look, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Matt, and not to be clever, but if you'd asked me at the start of the season, did I think, and or maybe, you know, w- w- within his role within the squad, did I think Eddie and Katia could do enough to for the club to want to sign him to a new contract? I thought he could. Did I think he could contribute to this season significantly, especially if you told me Aubameyang uh, would drift out of it very early on? I would have expected him, like I'm an Eddie believer. I think he did really well when he got his minutes. As a small sample size, we still all have questions whether you think he's great or might be good or is okay. Such a small sample size. I think he's been really good. I, I've I've watched everything I could do on Eddie o- over the last few years, which there's only so much available, but I'm a believer. I thought uh, I thought he should have a good season for us, and in the end, it all came at the end. Uh, I'm going to say met expectations of what the club needed from what who turned out to be their second striker and met my expectations. I think he's got loads of upside. I think... Uh, I think he could be really, really good. I'm so pumped that we signed him. I have a quick question for Tim. When was, who was the last striker 
that Arsenal produced out of our academy or Hale End. Like, we just don't produce strikers, like, who've become a factor yeah. for us. Like, Charlie George uh, is, is one that jumps to my mind, but, like, did I miss it's something very... in the inter... In, it, like, we produce wingers, we produce midfielders, we produce the occasional defender, or we produce full-backs. If you like want to get technical about it, uh, Niall Quinn, I oh, think, wow. but he he didn't really do it for us. Um, yeah. But he went on to have like a a good top level career. That I mean, that's Jesus. genuinely you're you're right. Like uh, as in like made it made it. That's yeah. that's the last one I can think of. And I'm kind of amazed. It, it's like a function of last season and and like the 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 trajectory of the narrative. But w- it's amazing we're not fucking stoked about it. Now I I understand why. I don't want to be telling people they're wrong not to feel the way they like. I was there. I get it. But like this is fucking nuts. But anyway, that's what next season's for. I think he's going to be really, really good. And yeah, and, and, he met and I will my say expectation. Like, I, I definitely don't think anybody's not stoked about the idea that we have an academy striker who's going to come good. I just think there are people who are wondering, is what we saw at the end of the season sure. a hot streak for a player that maybe isn't our level? And or is he a good enough as our second striker good. going forward? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I get all yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, right. isn't it a bit of a shame still? Isn't it a bit of a shame no. that we're not all fucking stoked that, you know, Eddie goes forward with this like Saka, like Smithrow, like... The ability to be stoked about any of this, I think, is always just a referendum on whether or not you rate the player. And rating players is such a, a diverse range of opinions that... Never held us back with other, other academy products, though, some of that's, whom were shit. But anyway. Yeah. anyway okay, anyway, uh, uh, Tim, Arteta, overperformed? Underperformed, Matt. What do you think? I'm I'm gonna say Matt. I'm I'm tempted. Like I think emotionally, I feel like it was an overperformance. But I think that might just be because we started so badly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think I did predict fifth um, at the like I don't know last summer. So mm-hmm. you know, fit, and and obviously, actually, it ended quite badly. So I'm saying emotionally, but. Like I don't know through the, my my kind of I guess if I was to plot my line with it throughout the season it'd be like you had us as fifth yep on yeah, uh, yeah, sixty four yeah. points you had and we yeah yeah so like that. my my initial like first two months would be like whoa this is under oh it's all right it's coming up. Uh, whoa this is like a little bit and then it came back down at the end I th- I think like over the whole thing I I'd say Matt because let's let's have it right. Uh, I mean, we've got like the fifth largest wage bill, right? And we finished fifth. Yep. Um, but, you know, Tottenham, it was Tottenham, not Man U ahead of us and all of that. And we should also put the two eighth place finishes in context that that was a big underperformance to do that twice in a row. Big underperformance. So we should not give ourselves too much credit for for finishing three places because like that was that was rubbish basically and what did we do like i've said a million times it wasn't a miracle of coaching we went out and spent a load of money on some good players and got better which which is exactly what arsenal should do in that position and that they tried to do several times but hadn't been able to do so i i'm i'm gonna i think this is met isn't it it's just felt very different at different stages of the season again the heart rate line kind of goes up and down quite a lot Mm. You had a you had us finishing on sixty four points, fifth place with a plus twenty two goal difference. I had us finishing on sixth place on sixty one points with a plus twelve. Uh, Paul had a sixth place 
61 points with a plus 18. We did finish fifth place, 69 points with a plus 13. Um, I have it as a Met, and I have it as a Met because... First of all, he did some of the things I wanted to see. He got us playing some football that I think is long-term sustainable as hashtag winning football, right? I think some of the football we saw was the kind of football that if we we keep playing it, it, it will continue to deliver the, the points we need to, to move up yet again to fourth, to third, to whatever. Um, I think he once again demonstrated maybe some weakness in usage of the squad. I think that's still an area for growth. I think in terms of integrating the new players, that was clearly a positive. Continuing to develop the young players, clearly a positive. The Aubameyang situation, I don't want to rehash it, but I will say that anytime you have a situation where your star striker leaves the club under a cloud when you could have used him, you you come in for, for questions. And maybe the questions are, he did nothing wrong and it's totally not his fault whatsoever. Maybe it's he did everything wrong. He's a monster. We don't know. But if your star striker leaves under a cloud for free, essentially to another big club and goes and scores goals there, you have to look at it and say, yeah, something there wasn't cool. So I think God is playing some better football than I expected. Got elite performance out of Thomas party. Got the young players playing well, positioned us higher up the table in terms of points than I expected. A few more goals than I expected, a few more conceded than I expected roughly, you know, right where I thought we'd land in terms of goal difference. I think this was a step forward, but not a leap forward. And a step forward was the remit. It was not a leap forward. It was a step forward. And that was the remit, and he met it. So I think it is expectations met, not overperformed, because just enough question marks, both in terms of where we finished, in terms of how we managed some injuries in the squad, are are enough to keep it from being a a pure overperformance for me. Uh, Paul? I'm going to go with overperform. Um, in terms of what we achieved, I think it's a met. If you told me that Man United, uh, like I picked sixth, if you told me Man United were going to suck right at the start of the season, I'd have picked fifth. Yeah, um, yep, same. Mm-hmm. It was a good fifth. We nearly got fourth. We we fluffed our lines at the end. Um, I disagree maybe with Tim in that we spent a lot of money last summer and brought in a bunch of new players but like that doesn't necessarily go well and they were young and they all had to adapt. And I think they all bought in and they all played a role in some form or other, at least five of the six we'd say, yeah, those, those looked like they're heading in the right direction. So I think that's a tougher gig than maybe on the surface. It looked like, um, I'm going to give them an overperform because I saw the football, um, not just sustainable football. You know, that all sounds very wholesome and good. No, but I saw the football and this team, the level of buy-in from the get-go, they stuck with them, how the players that are there buy into the the project, the football. Um, I can see, like, there's no guarantees. I'm not 100% sure this is all going to work. But my level of hope and belief that the stuff I projected onto Arteta will translate into good to great football with with a manager who brings that ambition and inspires that in other. His, his connection with the fans, and, and a lot of that credit goes to the fans, to be fair, with the fans, with the team, his alignment within the organization, the response. Like when we went to London, we heard from the folks within the organization how Arteta himself had had sat down with 
the leadership within the club and said, this is what our relationship should look like with the fans. And he showed video of uh, Spanish fans and how they're involved and how they celebrate. And like, he's saying, this is the connection we, like he gets it, that triangle between club, team manager, uh, fans, uh, his connection to the owner, all that stuff gives me a level of optimism going forward with the football and with the project that I had only hoped for last summer. So for me, between what we achieved, which was a solid met, and where I think we're going, it's an overperform because we saw the football. Yeah, I mean, that seeing the football for me was a requirement, so that's probably why we're a little different. But well, well, I do agree. Well, like, it's a requirement, but like... So is a lot of things in life that mostly doesn't happen. Like most managers fail. Yeah, but fail. If, if we hadn't seen it, I'd want him sacked, is my point. It, that would have been cause for, like, okay, if he had gone another season where here, he didn't deliver. Like, there's a difference between good football and potentially great football. Like, this wasn't just we were decent at football. Yeah, I hear you. I'm just saying, if we went another season where we didn't see what I regarded as the kind of football that that could lead us to the really big things we want to achieve... I would have been comfortable saying he has to go because he There's can't. Not many managers who can do when he that. delivered it. I agree. That's why you keep changing until you find one that does. Right? Like that's that's the goal. Isn't to find okay. a manager who's acceptable. Uh, the goal is to find a manager that rocks. Right? That's the goal. And Arteta to me delivered a season that suggests maybe he rocks. Right? Maybe he, he met does. expectations by showing us that he maybe rocks. Right, I'm okay with yes. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe and, and maybe it's just because I think, right, like, here's the point, Paul. In a first season, maybe not. But there there does come a point. This is the interesting thing with a manager. There does come a point where the goal isn't to say, is he a, a decent manager? The goal is to say, can we achieve the absolute highest possible goals with this guy? And once you uh, think I'll agree you with you that we have to do it this season. On. So I agree yeah. it had to be. But I don't, it just doesn't feel right that when somebody shows they got the, he, they may have the special self stuff that the, anyway it's, yeah uh, i get you and, and what i would say is like like the, the irony is if we win that manchester city game in january where we outplayed them for a big chunk of it deservedly had the lead we finish fourth we finish on 72 points and this whole conversation feels different and i mean those are the margins so i i am absolutely yeah. aware of that let's finish off quickly with adu i, I mean it's a solidly overperformed for me in some respects, because he made a lot of moves in the summer and almost all of them look... I mean, I still rate Samuel Conga. All the guys who came in to be starters or nearly starters started and had good seasons for the most part. And Nuno is, was sort of a punt. And I think he's actually good, but maybe we're going to give up on him. But like, so be it. You're going to get... Every time you bring in a haul of players and a couple of them are cheap, those could go either way. For the people that don't want to give him an overperform and want to slide him back down to Met or even worse, it all boils down to January. And I think there's a very fair debate to be had about whether there was a summer move that could have been pulled forward. Just anything, anything that could have been done to find a goal, to find two goals, to get us one more win, to get us fourth place and have Champions League. And it would have paid for the move and it certainly would have changed a lot of things in, in terms of dynamics. I'm willing to give him an overperform because I think I felt this was a teardown rebuild. I thought it was a multi-window project. I thought we were a long way off from having any sense of where this club was going. And in one summer window, we have completely put ourselves on the track to feel like we see where we're going and we think we can get there. I just think that's a lot harder than it looks. And I think Manchester United are going to find out how hard that is this summer and subsequent summers. And, and Chelsea may be facing that, let's be honest. So 
I'll, I'll give him an overperform, I think. But the people that don't want to, if they want to point to January, I'm totally uh, open to that. And obviously, he's got another important summer staring him in the face right now. Tim, where are you with, with Edu? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I find this one really hard because I can't sit like the players I can see. Um, mm-hmm. Right, but I, you know you can't really see the work of the technical director. I yeah. I'd say, and like the conversations and, and blah blah blah. And who's who's the player that Arteta pushed for, and who's the player that Edu? Pushed That's a good for point. And, yeah, was it Edu? Was and, Arteta? and all of that, and and we don't we don't. I mean, we have ideas, but we don't really know that. I, I I'm going to say like just about over on the basis that that you have. Um, in in that, like you say, this was a teardown rebuild. Naturally, they've got the first bit done a lot quicker than I thought they would. And also, I don't want to because I, I was thinking of just saying Met because I thought, well, we bought four players for the starting lineup for quite a lot of money, and they were good. And you know, so they fucking should be. But good point. We <laughs> we haven't exactly got that right over the last few years. Um, let's just say that. And actually, within that context. You know, when you keep getting it wrong, it's easy to lose your confidence, to lose your vision and all of that. And actually, and what I'm really enjoying about this summer, looking at the players we're linked to and just going, like, I know what, I, th- I think I know what an Arteta Arsenal player is now, you know? Like, um, I was looking at some of the data around Lissandro Martinez and it's just like, oh, he's a right-sided Ben White. <laughs> he, he's he's a left-sided centre-back who hits lovely diagonal passes and he can play left-back at, at a push and he can play defensive midfield at a push. It's like, yeah, it's like it's Ben White in the mirror. And, and, and I like that I can see this. And it's like the, yeah, the Pablo Vieira thing. It's like, oh, yeah, he likes all the areas that Saka and Erdegaard like. And, and that has happened remarkably quickly. Um, yeah. You know that we have this sense of what an Arsenal player is now. So, so that so that's an overperform. But obviously, again, they have to do the same thing again this summer. And I, I'm not going to take for granted that all of the signings are going to be a hit again. It it could have been luck. Yeah, I misspoke. I said solidly overperformed. I, I I think he overperformed. Solidly is is an exaggeration because like your point, Tim, is a really valid one. We spent pretty big fees on a couple of players who turned out to be pretty good. I think the Tomiyasu signing looks like a stroke of genius. You know, that lot of credit deserved there. Um, in Ramsdale and White, they paid big fees for players that I don't think were nailed on obvious. And by the end of the season, I think everybody felt like, okay, check marks in those boxes. Sambi and Nuno, whatever, you know, players for the future. The Odegaard get, I think, there's no way that was easy. At least I can't imagine it was easy. He showed he was good on loan. Certainly there would have been interest elsewhere. He's at Real Madrid. I don't think they had to sell. So getting that done and not jumping at Buendia and not jumping at Awar and really knowing we'd get Odegaard and stick to our guns there, like, again, I think they deserve credit for that. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I'd just add, sorry, because it's one thing as well, just saying, well, they're all good players individually, but actually they all fit the collective. And when you look at, and we've spoken about it a million times about Ramsdale, like how the hell they knew about some of his passing, I don't know, but that's a fantastic bit. Even if it's not scouting or Intel or whatever it is. And like you said, Tommy Asu, but yeah, buying good individual players is, is easy, but having them yeah. fit, your collective is a lot harder and, and that's the technical director's job. So maybe we can, you know, again, maybe that's Arteta, but, um, you know, I, I think for the vision of the team, you kind of have to, that that's the, the technical director's job. Yeah. And, and the only thing I'll say is while you can be critical of January, I'll at least give one piece of credit to them 
for not doing things stupid and impulsive in January. Not making a bad buy that's a bad fit that derails what we're doing. I mean, it's easy to say, just get someone and finish top four. But what if the someone is the next Pepe or the next Willian acquisition and that causes problems within the squad because now you're trying to play a guy who never really was a fit and you did it short-term thinking and, oh, by the way, it's not a guarantee it gets you top four anyway. So while I think you can knock them for January, I at least can give some credit for not doing something phenomenally stupid and short-term in its thinking in January. Where, where are you at with, with Adu, Paul? And let's wrap up. Yeah. Uh, so last summer, I was trying to get you to agitate to have him sacked for barbecuing while Rome yeah. burned. Um, and we moved late in the window. But everybody we brought in, I would say, uh, uh, like radically transformed our squ- squad in, in, and how all of the people around me who are Arsenal supporters feel about this team. The questions we have now are not the questions we used to have. We're all excited about pretty much every player and all the targets we're looking at or the other targets that may come in. Like, it's fucking great. I love the players we're talking about. Now, assessing Edu as the one player you're going to, or the one person you're going to do from in two years' time or three years' time, the work of the director of football or the technical director. Because it's kind of how do these things work out? How Squad building is something you assess over time. But my reaction right now is it's an overperform, and including because of January. Because my position on January is you either find the player you want or you have the balls to say no for the reasons you intimated. Like the mistakes you make are the players you buy that you're stuck with for four or five years and become a saga and clog a spot. Like uh, if, if, if they believe in Eddie and if Eddie pushes on to be something really good, but we don't get Eddie because we got fucking Vout Veghorst who starts like a train for two games and then kind of sucks and we lose more points than we would. Like there's so many ifs, ands or buts. I admire the balls to say no. And um, that gives me a level of confidence that they have a level of confidence, what their plan is. Again, that alignment between Edu, Arteta, Josh, look how we feel about that and our relationship with the club and club and the Cronkies. Even if we've major question marks to how we felt about when we thought we were in Stan's hand and he didn't give a shit. And, and it was like everything before that, like, uh, I, I'm sorry, I can't say anything other than overperform versus what I expected. And I think they've done great between them. Like, I agree. Who picked all these players? Well, I think, you know, I'd be shooting Edu in the neck if our players sucked and we got all the wrong players and we're convinced of it. I can't do anything but say, he, like, he's getting these guys. He's finding these guys. You got the Portuguese connection, the Brazilian connection. Like, how can you not say he's not a major part of this strategy or at least that they're fully aligned and it's clicking and so um, yeah. I, I recognize they all make big mistakes and both of them, Arteta, Edu, have made mistakes, loads of mistakes, uh, but you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. They broke a lot of eggs. Get more right than wrong. That's their job. And yeah, well, it, they can't afford too many mistakes right now in terms of personnel and they didn't last window, sorry, last summer and it, it looks like they won't this summer um, and that's key. It's easy to just think, None of these other clubs that are doing well ever make mistakes, but they do. It's just they get it right enough times that the mistakes feel unimportant 
And and then you just think they're so smart. Well, even the mistakes, they you know they probably had a plan for. You, you talk yourself into it, right? When yeah. teams are viewed as dumb, you look at their moves through the lens of what dummies they are. And when teams are viewed as smart, you look through the lens of how smart they are. And so, Naby Keita at Liverpool, a player I thought tremendously highly of, a brilliant signing in my view. Probably never got to the level they would have liked, although he's become more influential of late. Like people don't talk about it. They don't talk about Oxley Chamberlain. You know, they don't talk about some of the moves that didn't quite get them where they wanted to go or because Rigi. they've gotten so much right. Well, Divock Origi, you know, like, I don't know what the plan is. I mean, is he never plays. <laughs> he won them a Champions League. So yeah, yeah, but fun. he never, you um, know what I mean? It's like, yeah, they have yeah. lots of players where you'd say, hmm. No, of course. That's my point hmm. though, right? You, you just, you're less inclined. But then you look at a Manchester United and the scale of things Jeez. they get wrong or the scale of things we were getting wrong for a couple of seasons. Yep. The goal isn't to get everything right. It's to get your big things right have your punts hopefully work out more often than they don't. That has happened. We didn't do something stupid in January. I'm comfortable with that. Look, the thing about judging a technical director too is a technical director has to oversee the project, not the window. The window is a piece of the project. So really we will be able to judge Adu over a, a series of a number of windows of moving the project forward. And if it doesn't continue to take steps forward, then you have to say he didn't do what needed to be done. We'll see. For now, I'll give him an overperform because he had a hard, hard job from where we were. And he he I think the amount that we turn, you know, clubs aren't sports cars, they're ocean liners. They turn slow. And I think we our turning radius was tighter than I expected this past summer is the best way to put it. Let's leave it there. Tim's on Twitter. Super thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo. We got a lot coming up this week. Going to be a busy week of content. And of course, Arsenal are going to surprise us with a whole handful of transfers we weren't expecting and maybe one or two we were. So that's going to leave us with tons to do. We may have a Lisandro Martinez, Lisandro Martinez uh, scouting video coming your way in the next day as well. So keep an eye open for that. Once again, everybody who celebrated Father's Day, happy Father's Day. But I should also say to those of you uh, celebrating and hopefully everybody celebrating Juneteenth, I know Sunday is the official Juneteenth. Monday is Juneteenth observed. Um, and obviously a very important holiday and one that I'm glad that we're recognizing more and more. So uh, I wish everybody a – it, it occurs to me as I say this that I don't know what the proper um, way of expressing that someone should have a good Juneteenth. It sounds weird to say have a happy Juneteenth, but I hope that your observance of Juneteenth is positive. So there you go. A, a lot of word salad that hopefully resulted in my positive message not being totally destroyed. My name is Elliot Smith, and as I've just demonstrated, you should block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Paul, feel better? Uh, yeah, on the way. Okay, that's good. I hope everybody out there is feeling better as well. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 transfer window now. No.